We are ready now. Boy, to think we almost missed that song. Man, very good. That's our youth band. Yeah. Okay, do I have my mic on? Yes, okay, very good, very good. Whew, I'm glad we got here. I was wondering. You know, sometimes technical things, they just freak me out, but I need to just calm down, right? Jesus is still here, okay? Well, we are beginning our new series, our Christmas series, entitled Four Unto Us. And we're going to look at four names of this promised Messiah. And they're taken from Isaiah 9-6. Isaiah prophesied about Christ's coming 700 years before the event. I mean, I can't even get my arms around 100 years. Can you imagine 700 years? Here's what he says. This is part of what he says. For to us or unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Some amazing prophecies are found in Isaiah. And this is one of the most amazing. There's a great dualism in this verse right here. In the single phrase, Isaiah points out, a child is born, but then he states, a son is given. Why would he say two things, similar things, sounding exactly the same in one phrase? Well, it's because they're not the same thing. On the first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, a child was born. Jesus, the baby was born, but the son is pre-existent. The son was not born, for he has always been and will always be. The child was born, but the son was given. The child and the son are one, but the terms used are different to describe him. When he says a child is born, he's talking about the humanity of Christ. When he says a son is given, he's talking about the divinity of Christ. A child is born speaks of the terrestrial, the earthly. A son is given speaks of the celestial, the heavenly. All heaven was involved in this thing. A child is born speaks of the son of man. That's that human side. A son is given speaks of the son of God. Isaiah caught the duality of Christ in simple but profound words, and he described this wonderful gift God was giving us, namely his own son. Just think of it. Jesus had an earthly mother, but no earthly father. Jesus had a heavenly father, but no earthly mother, or no heavenly mother. God's son from heaven was born human, a human child, and he came to this earth for the express purpose of redeeming the lost race of humanity. Now, after he says a son is given, Isaiah gives these four titles. The Bible contains more than 225 titles and terms and names of our Lord. Truly, his name is above all names. But we're going to focus on these four through this series and we want to see how it relates to our lives. Isn't that what it's all about? 
The Bible's just another history book if we can't make it relate to our lives. So that's what we're going to be doing. And today we start with Wonderful Counselor. The name Counselor with the adjective wonderful is full of meaning. A counselor is one who gives advice, one who leads, one who defends someone. But we must be careful to whom we turn for our counsel. We've got to be very careful about this. There's a story of two old losers sitting on a park bench one day. One of the guys says to the other, you know, my problem is that I just never took advice from anybody. The other guy says, well, old buddy, my problem is that I followed everybody's advice. <laughs> you see, the problem is that some people won't listen to any words of wisdom. And then others listen to too many voices or the wrong voices. Today we're going to consider following and listening to the wonderful counselor. And I want to draw some distinctions between the two, between the efforts of an earthly counselor and the wonder of the divine counselor. A proverb says, many seek an audience with a ruler. That's an earthly ruler. But it's from the Lord that we get justice. Granted, we need earthly counselors. We definitely need them. They play an important role. In fact, they may be used by the divine counselor to get through to us. So this message is not an attempt. Hear me clearly on this. This is not an attempt to demean or belittle human counsel. That's very important. But instead, I'm going to reveal the superiority of God's Holy Spirit when it comes to giving us counsel and comfort and direction. So here we go. First distinction, the earthly counselor asks to identify our need. They need to ask for the need. The wonderful counselor knows. He already knows. Now, a counselor must have knowledge of the person he or she is seeking to give advice to. So they've got to ask questions. You know how it goes. So tell me how it's going. So what's the deal with your mother? Or what's going on with that coworker? They're asking questions. They're seeking to get a, a, a handle on what's going on in the life of the counselee. But Christ doesn't need to do that. He already knows. He doesn't need to be introduced to your need. Don't you love it in prayer circles? People are praying and somebody starts praying and they're telling God every little detail of their issue like he doesn't know. He knows everything. I like to say, just move on, move on. He knows, you know. <laughs> he knows your talents. He knows your gifts. He knows your weaknesses and sins. He knows your history. He knows all about you. The earthly counselor must ask for that need. The wonderful counselor knows. That's why the Bible tells us. Jesus himself said, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, he's not saying don't ask him. He's saying he, he knows, and he wants you to ask him. That's part of the relationship. Think of all he knows. He knows all about our past, everything. Our need for counseling assumes we have a past. He knows our secret sins. He knows our hidden hurts. He knows about those lost dreams, all about our past experiences. He knows about our present, everything about it. 
We sometimes say, oh, you just have no idea what I'm going through now. You know how it goes? You can't say that to Jesus. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the pressures, the, the temptations, the trials that you're going through right now. This very moment, he better than any soul on the planet knows what you're going through. And here's what's best. He understands. He says he's been through everything, yet without sin. He's been through every temptation, yet without sin. So he's going to understand. He's wonderful in his knowledge of us. What about the future? He knows it. No earthly counselor can boast about that. And you know what? It's not that he's a fortune teller and that he's consulting the spirits to see what it's about. Jesus doesn't live in the past, present, or future. He lives in it all. He's not bound to time. He is able to tell us and help us through the landmines that are out there in our future. He alone can do this. A wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. So that's the first contrast there, is that the, what he can do, what he knows. The second one is this. The earthly counselor hopes he can help, hopes she can help. Now, any counselor worth their weight in anything is going to want you to get better. They're going to want to help, but they only can hope for it because everybody isn't helped by a counselor. Sometimes it just doesn't work. But the wonderful counselor is certain. His help is certain. Terry, my wife, has a, a little thing we put on the refrigerator. It's been there for years, and I still can't remember it. <laughs> but it says something like this. It says, uh, God's track record of the past gives us hope for the future. And, and it's, it's so true. He, it's certain that he can help us. Those who have tried Jesus can testify about his help. Peter said a great thing, a profound thing once. Jesus was asking the disciples, you know, people are starting to leave me. My teachings are getting a little bit too tough for them, and they're starting to leave me. Do you want to leave too? And Peter says, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves confident that you are the Holy One of God. Those who know him tell of his leadership in their life. They tell of his healing, all the stuff he does in their lives. Now, those who have not tried him are invited. Isn't that great? If you, if you haven't tried Jesus, if somebody hasn't given him a, the time of day, they're still invited. Jesus himself said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a great invitation. He calls us to him because he wants to lead us. If we come to him, then he can lead us. He shepherds us. That's, that's another word for leader, a shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Even when he has 99 sheep safe in the fold, he still cares about that one who is lost or hurting. And those who have turned away from that invitation, they're going to or already are regretting it. Isaiah, our friend, 
also says that God is the one who teaches what is best for us. He directs us in the way we should go. And then he speaks for God like this. If only you had paid attention to my command, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Those are pictures of consistency. Your peace would have been like a consistent river, like the consistent waves of the sea. To turn our back on God is to invite disaster. He's the only one who can help lead us down the right path, the path that's best for us. Someone here today needs to come to their senses like the prodigal son and come back home to God. He's watching. He's waiting for you. He will accept you. All right, here's another contrast. The earthly counselor requires an appointment. The wonderful counselor is always available, always available. Now, don't get me wrong here. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus, all right? It's not that I'm talking about that. What I'm saying, the Lord doesn't make us wait for an appointment. He may not give us the answer we want immediately and all that kind of waiting stuff, but the appointment, we never have to wait for. He's always there. When Simon Peter was sinking, in the water, he made a plea, Lord, save me. And, G and he never had to swallow one ounce of water from the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was right there. I know you've called on the Lord, and you felt like he wasn't even there, wasn't there to answer you at all. You're wrong. He was there. He promises to answer us all the time. He promises to hear us all the time. Again, that's not necessarily the way we perceive it, but he's there. Let me give you three prayer requests that God always hears and always answers. Three. There's many, but here's three. The request for conversion. You know that, that place where we cross the line of faith and say yes to Jesus. Would you like to be saved or would you like to be brought into the family of God? Would you like to know God in a personal way? You can. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He didn't say those who are predestined. He said everyone. Now, it's our choice after that. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The wonderful counselor is the Lord. The wonderful counselor is the Savior. He's the forgiver of our sins. And he's always available to those who turn to him and they finally realize, you know, I think I've messed up a few times in my life and I need to be forgiven. And you hit that realization when you're touched by that understanding that your sins need to be forgiven. And when you are touched by the realization that Jesus is the one to forgive those sins, he's there to grant that request. Another prayer that he'll always hear, he'll never turn away, is the request for cleansing. We mess up, we want to get cleaned up. 1 John 1.9 says that God is faithful, he's just, he'll forgive and cleanse those who confess their sins to him. So just tell him the truth. He's the wonderful counselor, tell him the truth. He doesn't want to help, he will help. 
I once heard a woman admit to a pastor, I was kind of right next to these people talking, and she was admitting to him that she sometimes stretched the truth. That's the term she used. And it was so cool listening to this guy say, um, he, he said, I'm going to quote you a passage of Scripture. And this is the passage. God will not reject a broken and repentant heart. He was trying to convince her that God's not going to turn you away because of some sin. So he said this. He said, come on now. Tell the Lord the truth. Tell him that you lie. <laughs> Whoa. And she was taken aback a little bit. But then... With tears, she did pray that out loud. She asked God to forgive her for lying. And right there on the spot, she experienced peace. It was so cool to watch. He will cleanse you. Another prayer request that he'll always come to your rescue on is the request for calm. When the storms are coming, when life is just throwing it at you. Have you paid attention to some of the things the wonderful counselor talks about when we get in times of trouble. Here's one. Don't be anxious about anything. Oh, easy thing. You just say, God. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the best part. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that goes way beyond our thinking. You can't take this peace of God into the laboratory, dissect it, and say, I understand all about it. I was just uh, doing a funeral this past week, and there were a number of people that I talked to that had this peace about them. In the middle of their grief, in the middle of this storm, they had peace, and, and I'm sure a lot of people probably think, well, maybe they're not truly grieving. You know, they seem so peaceful. Maybe they're not, you know, they're not losing it. They're not all over the floor. That can happen, and we don't understand that. That's the peace of God. Uh, take this a little further. One of the definitions used for, uh, for this counselor word is the word advocate. A lawyer is called a counselor. If you see TV shows, you know, in Europe, uh, some European show, English especially, they'll, they'll, the judge will say, counselor, would you give us the defense? You know, whatever. They're, they're called counselors. They're advocates. This is the person who stands in the, in, in the place of us. He represents us. And that's what Jesus does. He could be called the wonderful advocate just as easily. He can bring calm in the midst of the storm because he's in the place of us. All right, let's move on to a fourth one. The earthly counselor charges a fee. <laughs> I mean, the guy's got to make a living. The woman's got to bring home the bread. But the wonderful counselor paid the price with his blood. He paid a steep price. As I just said, the, the counselor can mean one that goes before us, the advocate. He, he is at the law bench representing us. Jesus stood between the law, the law of God, and us. He took the wrath of the law in our place. 
a lot of us don't like the law because if you break the law, you die. That's the contract. You break the law, you die. In any part of the law, you break one law out of the 600 and something laws and you are a lawbreaker and you die. We violated the law of God. But it was Jesus who died in our place. He died in our place. There's a group here. I guess they're kind of the middle-aged group called the Rocks of Ages. Any, yeah, Rocks of Ages. Yeah. I'm, I'm so much younger I can't go, you know, but... The Rocks of Ages. Now, I don't know if they got their name from a Bible verse or from the hymn, but there's a hymn called Rock of Ages. It's about Jesus. And here's a line in it. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Now, that could have come from our friend Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now that's all metaphor. You know, that's not really being thirsty for water. It's not really having no cash in your pocket. It's saying there's a free gift, a free gift in Jesus Christ. Jesus took that crown of thorns that should have been mine. That beating, that scourging, that had my name on it. I get torn up about this. Those nails, those were my nails. And he took them. He paid a heavy price. Now he calls us to come to him. I didn't think that was going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> Think of a, the greatest Christmas present that you could ever have would be to come to Jesus. What about the greatest present, Christmas present that your loved ones who have been praying for you could have when they know you came to Jesus? A wonderful counselor. I want to start closing up on this a little bit, and, and I'm going to turn it back to that thing I said at the beginning about we have to be careful who we turn to for counsel. Do you realize that it was a type of counselor who first corrupted humanity? In the book of Genesis, we read that Satan counseled Eve. Satan came to Eve and said, you know, if you eat the tree, the fruit on the tree, you're just going to be smart like God, and he's jealous. Surely you won't die. That's counsel. And she listened to it and took that counsel to Adam, and he listened to her, and that's where it all started. We've got to stop listening to the wrong counselor. We've listened to him far too long. Let's listen to the wonderful counselor. Is there someone here today who needs direction? 
Do you need the Lord to show you how to deal with a problem? Are you trying to make important decisions in your life or help others with decisions in their lives? There's only one who can truly help with this. Jesus is his name. Come to him now. Again, I am not demeaning earthly counselors. I are one. (laughs) I'm saying there's a gulf of difference between God counseling us and a human being counseling us or counseling ourselves. I want to read this to you to just maybe show you a little bit of that gulf. This is from an anonymous author, and I can't believe this author could be anonymous with this. This sounds so great. Who could forget who wrote it? But it's anonymous. Interesting assessment he or she makes. Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato taught for 50 years. Aristotle for another 40. Jesus taught for three Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these other men who were among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. This author says, Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci obtained their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus Jesus composed no music. Still Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns and symphonies they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter of Nazareth. His unique contribution to humankind is the salvation of the soul. Philosophy could not accomplish that, nor art, nor literature, nor music. Only Jesus Christ can break the enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace to the human heart, strengthen the weak, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. Big difference. Big difference. I want the application today to be a question I give you. And and your application is to, to get the answer to this question. There's a great book about the difference between being a follower of Jesus and a fan of Jesus. The author defines a fan as one who knows about Jesus, looks up to Jesus, he's a miracle worker, thinks that he teaches the truth, all kinds of accolades, that's that's a fan, but he just doesn't have the intimate friendship with Jesus. He defines a follower as one who knows Jesus and is known by him. The author asks a question in this book, and it could be applied to this message. When you're hurt or confused or in need of direction or some big time comfort, where do you go first for help? Do you go to your parents? Do you pick up the phone and call a good friend or a pastor? Those may not necessarily be bad folks to go to for counsel, 
but are they the first and most important response? Maybe you go to things that aren't so good. Maybe you go to the bottle of booze or other addictions. Maybe you go to the next party or the next buying splurge or eating binge. I don't know, but my point is, when you experience something that requires counsel, where do you turn first? The answer to that question reveals how much you actually believe Jesus is truly the wonderful counselor. Isaiah is prophesying much more than a child in a manger. When he is calling Jesus the wonderful counselor, he's pointing to the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives in a believer's life through the Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit. So maybe another way to ask this question that brings us into real life with a real God is when you need help, do you use your own power or another human's power or are you calling on the Holy Spirit? Are you self-led or are you spirit-led? Are you human-led or are you spirit-led? I challenge you to explore the answer to that question as you prepare for this Christmas season. The band's going to come. Let's pray. Almighty Son of God that was given to us, we thank you. We thank you for being with us here today. We thank you, Lord, that as we sing songs, we're not just singing them into the air. We're singing them to you. And as we sing, as we draw near to you, your word says you draw near to us. And what a great place for a counselor to be near us. Thank you, God. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us would continue to ask that question. When, when we need help, when we need counsel, who do we go to? Do we go to you first, Jesus? Help us to do that. And it's in your name, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, that we pray and say amen.